Hi, I'm Eden. And I'm Nicole. Welcome to Roadside, Roadside Horror, Horror Show. So we're in Ohio. <laughs> we are in Ohio. So you discovered in the course of your research that Ohio is apparently a hotbed of cryptid creatures. Yes, it has a shit ton. There's, of course, the Mothman, which I had forgotten about with, you know, that movie and all. Oh, yeah. It's hard to... F- that was a creepy movie, but I guess... No, the story was creepy. Yeah. But the Mothman movie wasn't as creepy as it should have been, in yeah. my opinion. I know everyone loves it, but I don't think it's as great as all the hype says it is. Fair, fair. I know there is a Mothman festival every year. Apparently. Which seems damn cool. I would do it. Yeah. There's also... Oh, what was it? Some python? Some kind of... Oh. The Peninsula Python. The Peninsula Python. So the story behind that was actually interesting. I guess, according to local legend, in 1944, a circus train derailed and some of the exotic animals aboard escaped, one of which was a ginormous python. And that there were sightings of this massive, like, 20-foot python snake all over the peninsula, Ohio, I guess is the town where it happened, hence Peninsula Python. And women and children were advised to stay indoors to avoid the creature. (laughs) Oh, nice. To this day, they uh, celebrate the Peninsula Python with Peninsula Python Day. I love when they do like special days to like commemorate their weird cryptid creatures. Yes, yes. There's also Orange Eyes, which just looks fucking terrifying. He's supposed to be like 11 feet tall. That sounds terrifying. Yeah, no. And he's got these glowing orange eyes. No thanks. And he is actually uh, near Mansfield, which is where my story takes place this week. So, Oh, a connection there. It looks like they have a lot of uh, Bigfoot-like monsters that they see. They do. Which is interesting. I guess Ohio is a pretty uh, well-wooded state. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, and there's one that I'm I'm assuming that we share with Ohio since it's called Bessie, and it's the Lake Erie monster. <laughs> Another sea creature in the Great Lakes. Gotta love it. I also like the uh, the one you told me about, the Loveland Frogman. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> I actually heard that story for the first time on another podcast, and I pretty much laughed from start to finish because it was just the weirdest thing I'd ever heard. Wow. That's so... Giant frogs. Just... Giant frogs on the highway. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> so, like, makes you think of Australia with, like, the uh, those toads that they have that, like, bred uncontrollably. Oh, yeah. It's like they're everywhere, but, like, this would be ginormous. Here I thought you were talking monsters. about, I'm not sure if it was in Australia or not, but when it was raining frogs. That might have been Australia. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Uh, I did find that there is a, apparently a creature weekend, usually. Ooh, nice. Annually held in Cambridge, Ohio. It's a conference where they discuss and explore topics related to cryptozoology uh do all of the cryptids go there together and like have like a panel where they answer questions i hope so i hope somebody like comes dressed as monsters because oh, that would that be, would be a, you know someone's got to i'm gonna look for some images now because i'm curious about that creature festival well no but at the mothman festival people do dress up as the mothman which is kind of terrifying oh let me I see guess. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> Agreed. That was very weird. Uh, yeah, so Ohio, your creatures. Interesting. People, if you're from Ohio or you're listening in Ohio, feel free to share some of your uh, own experience if you have any or your favorite tale of a cryptic creature that you've heard whilst living in Ohio. They're probably not listening anymore since we had to take a week off, um, which we are sorry for, but it was a horrible week. This week's still horrible, but we're here. We have to. Yeah. Nicole's had issues. I've had issues. Neither one of us has Corona. Don't worry. We're yes, good. We're both safe. We bought all the toilet paper in the world that's supposed to protect us, right? <laughs> that's how it works. All right. I guess. Uh, shall I dive into my story? Please do. I think you'll like it. So our stop today is in Belmont County, Ohio. Belmont is on the eastern edge of Ohio and West Virginia. The Ohio River runs along the county's edge with West Virginia and creates this natural border. Now, Belmont County is relatively rural. Today, only about 70,000 people live there, which means that per square mile, there's only about 132 people. Oh, wow. Yeah, so very, very rural, very spread out. Nestled in the northwestern part of the county is Kirkland Township. Which I've heard t- of that. K- Kirkland Township? Yes. Really? Maybe just when I was researching other stories, but oh. yes, pretty oh, sure like, I've heard of it. I've heard of the Kirkland brand at Costco, but never. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been to a Costco, so. Oh, wow. So 
Kirkland Township uh, today is about home to 400 people, and it's still very rural, and that's actually where my story takes place. So All right. This township was named after Robert Kirkland, who was a revolutionary soldier who originally owned the land. Though Robert Kirkland survived more than 32 Revolutionary War battles without any major injury, he died while fighting Native Americans at present-day Fort Recovery in Ohio. So, mm, bad, bad bit of luck, I guess, but I guess yeah. all in the day's work and danger when you're a soldier. But our story is about another American veteran from a different American war. Ooh, okay. This story is about Thomas David Carr, who fought in the Civil War before settling in Kirkland Township. Tom Carr was born March 6, 1846 in Sugar Hill, West Virginia, as the middle son of nine kids. His family moved around quite frequently, and young Tom was a troublemaker who usually got into fights with local kids wherever they moved. Eventually, he fell in with a bad crowd and was arrested and sent to jail for theft at the tender age of eight. Oh, God. Wow. Okay. Was not expecting that. Very precocious. Yeah. So after Tom Carr was released from jail, his family moved again and finally settled in Belmont County. In 1862, Carr lied on his paperwork and joined the Union Army at the age of 16. He said he was 19 on the paperwork, so. His troublemaking, of course, continued during his Army service, and he was reprimanded several times for drunkenness, gambling, and theft. So all around, he's sort of a deviant, social deviant. And how old is he at this point? 16, 17. 16, 17. Okay. Thought he was like nine or ten now. (laughs) I knew you just said it, but I forgot already. He's a teenager, and he's still raising hell. Carr was discharged from the Army and returned home to Belmont County. He ends up working a series of menial jobs and commits some petty thefts to get by. Soon he was able to secure a job as a coal miner working for Alex Hunter, who is one of the wealthier men in Kirkland Township. Side note, Alex Hunter is like a badass name, and I expect him to almost be like a uh, Tom Clancy hero. I work with an Alex Hunter. Really? Wait, I think that's her last name. I don't know. It's changed because she was married, but it's a good. It's a good solid name. Anyway, I digress. Also working for Alex Hunter was a 13-year-old maid named Louisa Catherine Fox. Carr, who was 23 by now, was infatuated with Louisa and began to court her. Her parents were pretty put off by Carr, uh, not only due to the age gap, but also due to his reputation as, well, a drunk and a thief. I'd assume you would get a reputation like that if you were him. Yeah, especially in a small place. Oh, yeah. Like Kirkland Township, so... Nevertheless, Carr soon asked for Louisa's hand in marriage. I found a couple different versions of her parents' reactions, and they vary depending on the source. A few said that the Foxes initially agreed to allow Carr to marry Louisa, but either they or Louisa reconsidered and canceled the wedding plans. Other sources say her parents absolutely refused and asked Carr to stop seeing their daughter, period. Those were the same sources that said that Carr was pretty much creepily obsessed with Louisa and basically stalking her. Gross. Yeah, super All gross. Because right. he's 23 and she's 13. Oh, oh yeah. That's mm-hmm. that's something. Okay. Yeah. So a few days later, on January 21st, 1869, he steals a razor from a local shoe shop and heads to the Hunter house to find Louisa. Carr again asks her to marry him and she refuses due to her parents' disapproval. He said, well, he had just been to her parents' house earlier that day, and just as a messenger, they wanted her to go out and check on her grandparents' house after, they, after she finishes work. Then he leaves. Carr proceeds to get drunk on hard cider, apparently four bottles worth, which made him extremely drunk. And he stakes out a hiding space on the road to Louisa's grandparents' house. As he waits drunkenly in the woods, he begins to rethink his plan. Not the murdering Louisa part. The part where he's... Because why would you rethink that? Exactly. That's a solid plan. He rethinks the part about using a razor. He decides, you know what? A gun would be way better. Of course. Right? And he stumbles off to the nearest house to see if they have a gun he can borrow. Like, (gasps) what the fuck? (laughs) Are you serious? Like, how often does that happen? You're like at home and someone's like... Excuse me. Do you have a gun I can have? Do you have a gun I could borrow? I'll bring it right back, I swear. Right? So he does this not not once, but twice at two different houses he comes across. Oh, my God. Eventually, he gives up and returns to his hiding spot and back to his original plan to murder Louisa with a razor, with the razor he stole. Do you remember when, like, Anne Heche went nuts? <clears throat> Didn't she, like, get lost in the desert? She's lost in the desert, walking around just her underwear, and then she, like, knocked on someone's door and asked if she could come in and take a shower and watch a DVD. 
That's what that reminds me of because that's that <laughs> level of crazy. Wow. Yeah. What DVD? Whatever. <laughs> if you have the Some notebook, hardcore porn, please. If you have the notebook, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> so Carr's back in his hiding spot. And he notices now that there's tracks in the road and he recognizes them as Louisa's. He also notices that there's a smaller set of footprints, which he assumes belongs to her little brother, Willie. Carl leaves his hiding space and starts up the road himself, trying to catch up with the pair. Eventually, he catches them and Carl and Louisa begin to talk. As they talk about their failed courtship and failed betrothal, Carr sends Willie up the road a little bit so they can kind of talk in private. Mm-hmm. Willie's pretty young. I think, I forget what the sources said, but he's like around 10 or younger. So. Oh, shit. Okay. So he does it and he's like skipping along the road ahead. Now, the details about what happened next, again, vary by source. What we do know is they talked for a long while as they walked along the road about their current situation. Both eventually break down in tears over it. Then they start to argue. Louisa insisting that they couldn't marry due to her parents' disapproval, and Carr demanding that she disobey her parents and run off and marry him. Of course. As her brother walks about... Be Romeo and Juliet. (laughs) Romeo and Juliet, too. Although, like, this is the interesting thing. So, like, some of the stories, like, all of them say, yeah, they talked for a long time. They eventually... Tears were involved somehow. And I can totally see, like, a crazy drunk car, like, crying because... This girl he's totally obsessed with says no to him. Yeah. But I can also see like this poor 13-year-old girl being like, I'm really scared and you're like creepy and I don't want to have this conversation and no. This whole thing is just very... Uncomfortable? Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, her brother Willie's walking about 10 yards ahead. And as they continue down the road, Carr decides that he'll kill Louisa when they reach the ravine up ahead that runs alongside the road. Good plan. Gotcha. Okay. So they continue to argue... And when suddenly Carr grabs her by the arm and drags her towards the ravine. Now, I'm going to pause for a moment as a quick warning for our more sensitive listeners. The next part of the story will be pretty graphic, so you may want to skip ahead. Okay, for everyone who stuck around. (laughs) Now, Willie, keep in mind, witnesses this entire scene up the road a short distance. Oh, no. Yeah. Carr drags Louisa towards a ravine asking if she's ready to die. And the terrified girl is screaming and repeatedly begging for her life, even agreeing to marry him if she is spared. She must be desperate. Mm-hmm. Carr pulls out the razor and slashes the right side of Louisa's neck. Oh, wait. He's still doing the razor? I thought he decided on the gun. He couldn't get a gun. Oh, that's right. He knocked yeah. on like two houses and couldn't yeah, get yeah. one. So he pulls out the razor, slashes at the right side of Louisa's neck. His slash was about two inches deep. And it ran 10 inches across her neck. And oh. It, yeah, it's pretty gruesome. And it severs her jugular artery. Well, I would assume so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tom Carr starts to stab Louisa then with the razor, only stopping after 14 stabs in the chest and neck. Can you stab someone with a razor? I guess it's not like the kind of like razor that we think of. It would be like a razor that you would use to cut leather. So oh, I don't know what that looks like. Uh Think of like a straight razor. Yeah. Like there isn't really a point, but like you can like shove it because it's such a I fine guess. blade. Yeah. As he lets... And he's not using like a like a bick for her? No, 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 not a bick for her. All right. As appropriate as that would be. <laughs> uh, he lets Louise's body kind of slump to the ground as she bleeds out. And then he kisses her three times before walking away. The true romantic Aww, that he is. Oh, so sweet. Meanwhile, Willie, who sees all this happen, takes off running from Carr. And he heads straight... Good. Run as fast yep. as you can. He runs as fast, to he, fast as he can, right to his parents. He gets to his home... He tells his father what happened, and Mr. Fox immediately alerts authorities uh, to help organize a search party for Carr, and then he goes to check on Louisa in case she's still alive. Yeah. Meanwhile, Carr continues to wander down the road and contemplates killing himself with the same razor he used to murder Louisa because, you know, romance. Oh, of course. This is truly a love story for the ages. Exactly, exactly. According to his later confession... As he walked, he saw Mr. Fox rushing towards his daughter's body, and that's when Carr decided to hide and see if he could arm himself with a gun again. Great. You know what? Just give up on this gun plan. It's not going to do anything. Come on. So Carr cuts through the woods, and he enters the next town where he stops at each house he comes across asking for a gun so he can shoot a rabbit he saw. Oh, my God. Eventually, a man agrees to lend Carr a pistol, um, but he has to go talk to the man's wife to get the ammo for some reason. Weird. Okay. Yeah. And the wife is like here and gives him like two bullets. That should be enough to kill a rabbit. 
Okay. Because he's like basically like a half drunk, crazy person. Asking for a gun. Who I would imagine probably has like blood flicked on him or something. I would assume he just stabbed someone to death. That whole thing seems very odd. So as the sun set, Carr heads towards Maybe the f- he said the rabbit bit him. Oh, maybe. So as the sun sets, Carr heads towards the fox house, even though he knows there's a search party hot in his trail. Should have told them it was so we could shoot a fox. Ooh. Uh, oh. That's, that's really on the nose. Yes. Yes, it but is. kind of accurate. He finds a hiding place on the fox property, and from his vantage point, he can see people coming and going from the house. He watches as the family brings Louisa's body home, body home and starts to prepare it for burial. Like, ugh, this guy is such a freaking creep. Like, yeah. I can't even stand it. No. Like, he's creepy to begin with, like, stalking, like, a 13-year-old. Then yeah. he's like, he kills her, and then is like, I just need to see her one last time. Like, so bizarre. Anyway, Carr's creepily hiding and watching the fox house. He thinks about sneaking in to say another final goodbye to Louisa, but then realizes there's too many people around for him to avoid getting caught. Okay, great. So he goes back into the woods and hides out in a neighbor's coal bank for the night. Okay, did he ask this neighbor for a gun too? I hope not. It seems to be his thing. (laughs) So the next morning, he sneaks into the spring house on the Fox property. And he contemplates going back into the house again to see Louisa, but then decides he should just end it all and take his own life. Like, he still has the gun, he still has the razor, but he decides that a bullet through the heart is fitting for his predicament since his heart is now broken oh my god so he was emo before it was cool yes gotcha and if you're wondering how i know all this it's because Carr gave an extremely lengthy detailed confession to several newspapers that i was able to find oh yeah now instead of being you know straightforward and holding the gun to his chest and pulling the trigger Carr decides no no I'm going to use my handkerchief to tie this gun to a rafter in the spring house. Because it has to be weird and convoluted. Okay. (laughs) Yep. Go for it. Just tell me. (laughs) So with the gun's muzzle at about chest height, he rigs up a string around the trigger so he can just pull it. He stands in front of the gun, aims it for his heart, and jerks the string. Oh, my God. When he jerks the string, it swings the gun slightly off line of sight, and it fires it. Car ends up on his back with a bullet lodged just left of his heart. Oh. So he kind of like gets up, checks himself to see if the bullet went through. It didn't. He has a bullet lodged in his chest oh, now. No. He's like slowly bleeding. He drags himself out of the spring house, walks about 30 or 40 yards over to the actual spring itself to take a drink. Suddenly, he hears someone shouting, murderer, murderer, murderer. Oh. And voices come from the fox's house. He pulls out the razor and starts slashing at his own throat because he does not want to be taken prisoner or captured. He manages to severely hurt himself, cutting almost all the way through his windpipe before he finally passes out from lack of blood. Yeah. Fast forward a few days. Carr's desperate suicide attempt fails, and he's arrested and jailed. While he's in jail, things just get all the crazier. I mentioned that Carr gave these really lengthy confessions that appeared in several different periodicals from 1869-1870. Well, he does, and it gets wild. He confesses to murdering Louisa, and he basically says that if I couldn't have her, no one could. Then he continues to confess to a whole series of robberies, murders, and thefts. Carr's confession is super long-winded, really dramatic. That sounds like him. Yeah, a little bit self-pitying, and probably mostly bullshit. Yeah, I would assume so, too. It very much struck me as when you hear about, like, the convicted killer. Who Mm -hmm. is that guy? Henry? The documentary Henry? I don't know if I know that one. Uh, it's basically the serial killer who gets caught and he confesses to like re- multiple murders, like more murders than they thought he committed. Yeah. And he takes people to places and pretty much any missing person that, that fits his MO that they would put in front of him, he would confess to it. Oh. It's kind of sort of similar where it's like people who are already in jail sort of start like... They want the notoriety. They want, yeah, fame. Yeah. It's that notoriety aspect. And that's very much sounds like what Carr was kind of going for. Yeah. So he begins by saying that during his army service, he was sentenced to be shot on two different occasions for violating regulations like gambling. He was made to dig his own grave during one of these occasions before President Lincoln himself heard of his sorry tale arranged a pardon. 
Yeah. The bullshit detector's off the charts on that one. Whoa. Okay. Like, considering the army during the Civil War probably wouldn't shoot you for gambling. Yeah. They might throw you in the brig, but they weren't really about wasting soldiers. Yeah, exactly. They needed everyone they could get. Exactly. And the idea that Lincoln heard about some kid who was, like, going to be shot for gambling seems wildly outside the realm of possibility. So, rather than uh, tell you about all the incidences, I'll just read through all of the claims that Carr makes in his confession to have either participated in or committed the following crimes. He went AWOL in Greenleaf, Virginia and murdered the soldier who was sent to bring him back to his unit. Probably true. Probably. While he was a prisoner of war in Columbia, South Carolina, he strangled another prisoner of war when the man verbally contemplated defecting to the Confederacy. Probably not true. Probably not true. After escaping prison camp, he rejoined his unit in Mississippi where he murdered two Confederate soldiers. Mm, maybe he killed a prostitute in clarksburg ohio probably he joined a gang of soldiers who looted a store in petersburg virginia which gave him the opportunity to kill the man who owned the store oh shit probably not probably not true committed the gang rape and murder of confederate sympathizers in raleigh north carolina Mm, also probably not true. threw a waiter over the side of a steamboat and the waiter then drowned Uh, yeah kind of random yeah Stabbed and disemboweled a street conductor in Baltimore, Maryland. Could be. Killed a man with a bottle in... Baltimore. That's like every day in Baltimore. (laughs) Could be anybody. Killed a man with a bottle in Newark, Ohio. Possibly. I feel like maybe the things that happened in Virginia, except for that whole store robbery and the Ohio incidents he's claimed, Ohio crimes, could Mm -hmm. possibly be true. But the way he talks about this in his confession, basically he zipped all around the country with his unit. Yeah. So it seems highly unlikely that he committed all these crimes. He was in that many places. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the end, though, it really doesn't matter what Thomas Carr said he did. He clearly murdered Louisa Fox. There was an eyewitness and he confessed to it. So he was convicted in June of 1869 and sentenced to death. All right. On March 24th, 1870, Carr was hanged in Clairsville, Ohio. However, his neck didn't break when the gallows trap door opened. Oh, of course. Yep. And he slowly strangled to death in his noose. Well, I mean, I can't think of a more deserving person, but, you know. So, Eden, what do you think? Um, That was batshit crazy. <laughs> right? Um, When you said, like, that he was however old dating this 13-year-old, I was like... 23, yeah. Yeah, 23 dating a 13-year-old, I was thinking to myself, I think I just watched that episode of Law and Order. (laughs) (laughs) That was was something. Yeah, I mean, a little side note, I think I mentioned before we started recording that when I first read about the murder of Louisa Fox, I immediately wondered if it was the inspiration for one of my favorite songs, The Banks of the Ohio. Have you ever heard that? I don't know. I don't think so. It's this traditional murder ballad that tells the story of a man who uses a knife to murder a woman who refuses to marry him. Oh, that sounds pretty much like this. Yeah, very much so. And it's one of those songs where I've heard versions like there's a Johnny Cash Carter family version where it's told from the murderer's point of view. And then there's a really lovely version that Kristen Hirsch did uh, where it's told from the woman's point of view. Why do I know that name? Kristen Hirsch. She was the lead singer in Throwing Muses. Oh, oh, okay. That's why I know that name. Yeah, yeah. She actually has a whole great album of like traditional Appalachian. And now everyone else is probably like, what the hell are they talking about? <laughs> Chris and Hirsch is a cool murder ballads album. It's all these traditional Appalachian songs. And I love it to death because it's like her like, you know, smoky grandma voice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> over like. It is kind of sexy grandma. Yeah, sexy grandma voice. It's funny. You say Appalachian. I know that people say that now, mm-hmm. but I always learned it as Appalachian. Yeah, I try to adjust. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever fits, fits. Yeah. But, um. For our listeners who aren't familiar with murder ballads, it's basically a narrative song about a tragic death or a murderer. They mostly originated in the 15th and 16th centuries in England and Ireland. And they were kind of part of this oral news network. So you'd have like a balladeer who would show up in a town because a criminal was being punished for his crime. And they would record the crime and the criminal's fate. And then they would make a song about it and then travel from town to town singing the song. A lot of times they would change like the name of it. One of the most common ones that people are familiar with is Knoxville Girl. And that's actually based on an older murder ballad from Ireland and England. It used to be called the Wexford Girl. And there's also okay, a, an yeah. English version of it. And it's basically the same same story. Like a guy's heart gets broken and he murders a woman. Um, some traditional and modern examples of murder ballads include Down in the Willow Garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Tom Jones song, Delilah. 
Where the Wild Roses Grow by Nick Cave. Uh, I Hung My Head by Johnny Cash. More traditional songs are like Poor Ellen Smith, uh, Pretty Polly. And I would say you could even call like something like Bohemian Rhapsody, like a murder ballad, if you think about it. Okay. But uh, yeah, I love murder ballads and I was contemplating. How about the Killer's Murder Trilogy songs? I don't think I know that. Oh, yeah. It was um, two of them were on their first album and then there's another one on one of their later albums. I'm going to have to look into that because I decided that I really want to create a murder ballad playlist for Roadside Horror Show listeners. Oh, nice. And uh, coming soon, guys. I'll post about it on social media when I finally get that up and running. what the third song in the murder trilogy is, but uh, from the first killer's album it was uh jenny was a friend of mine is oh, the yeah, first yeah. song in it then midnight show was the second song that makes sense and then i forget what the last one was i'll dig into it and find it and i'll put on our murder bell playlist yeah do it so my sources for today's tale were wikipedia murderpedia the american cowboy chronicles and a couple different articles the one i used primarily for thomas carr's confession was from the wheeling daily intelligencer Oh, I like that. I mean, I hate that, but I like that. It's just like intelligencers just sounds very not intelligent. Doesn't quite roll off the tongue the no. way it should. Because <laughs> that's what the Doylestown one is called, too. The intelligencer. Yes, I've seen it a couple times. So I'm always like, whoa. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Like, is that even a word? My favorite was, uh, I think it's Staten Island. I think it's called the Advance. Okay. But it's spelled Advance. Oh. Um, so it might be Advance, but I feel like a lot of people I heard refer to the paper in college are called the Advance. Huh. So I don't know if that's just a regional thing or maybe people who can't talk so good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had this guy from, uh, I forget where, some Southern state uh, when I worked at Cigars International call up and he was talking to me and he had, you know, a thick Southern accent. Just fine with me. I, I can understand it mm-hmm. just fine. You can translate that. But he was like, sorry, I don't talk pretty. That's kind of precious. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I think he was from Kentucky because I think he might have been the one that was like um, saying that he was from Louisville. Mm. And um, he was like, and we pronounce it. I was like, Louisville. I know. <laughs> he was like won his heart that day. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're a good company. I like it. <laughs> All right. I guess uh, we can take a short break. Yeah. Let's do that. I have a video to show you. Funny Ooh. news blooper that I've been trying to find for ages and I finally found again. Excellent. All right. We'll take a short pit stop and then we'll be back with Eden's story. Until then. See you. I don't know. Whatever. Transition. Stay healthy. Me talking pretty. (laughs) Till then, talk pretty. All right. We are back. We're back. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I realized I wasn't talking. Just making creepy eye contact. It's just like, Nicole, please say something. Hi, girl. Hi. We have to keep the people in Ohio interested. <laughs> Thank you, Ohio, for really coming through and listening to our episode. I've been waiting for that to happen with like a state, and it's never happened before. So, Ohio, you're the first, and you're awesome. You beat out Pennsylvania, which is our home state. So, Good job. that was awesome. Um, also, we finally have a listener in Sweden, what I've been waiting for. And what do we say to our Swedish listeners? We say, hey, because that's how you say hello in Swedish. <laughs> it's kind of, you know... Pretty Pretty normal, but... Very straightforward. I appreciate that. Like I said, pretty much every Scandinavian country, it's either hey or it's hello. Like, it's pretty much sounds like hello. Perfect. Yeah. Pretty easy. So, I have a story, Nicole. Do tell. Okay, this week, we're taking a trip to Richland County, to a town called Mansfield. It's the county seat and has a population of roughly 48,000 people and is the 19th largest city by population in the state of Ohio. This town has several nicknames, including the Carousel Capital of Ohio, Danger City, the Queen of Ohio, and the Racing Capital of Ohio. The Carousel Capital, that's a unique moniker. Yeah. Mansfield has a pavilion which houses an 80 by 80 foot carousel, which gives it its first nickname. That's amazing. I love carousels. They're so cool. Freaking huge. Um, so yeah, we'll have to go check that out sometime. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at the crime rate, it would seem the Danger City is an apt nickname as well, as it is one of the highest crime rates in the country. Ugh. Yeah. The other nickname I have the explanation for is the race capital. It is also home to the Mansfield Motor Speedway. So there's lots of fun things to do in this town. You can ride a massive carousel, you can see a race, and you can become the victim of a crime. (laughs) Oh, and you can go to prison. 
for a tour, of course. Well, it's this, quite the weekend. Yes. This is the story of the Ohio State Reformatory. Oh. Reformatory always reminds me of like a school for bad kids. Well, we'll, we'll get into that. Okay. Oh, I'm very excited now. Uh, there is one more interesting fact I have about Mansfield before I begin. The first home in Mansfield was built by a man named Samuel Martin, who was run out of town, not to mention the country, for selling whiskey to Native Americans, which was for some weird reason illegal at the time. Oh. Yeah. Wow. So that's an interesting, not so fun fact, I guess. Yeah, not so fun. Now, on to the star of today's show, the Ohio State Reformatory. It's also known as the Mansfield Reformatory or the Intermediate Penitentiary. Penitentiary. Okay. I have trouble saying that word because it's spelled like penitentiary. Mm, Fair enough. Yeah. This building, or the ground it sits on rather, began as a military training ground during the Civil War. That's already enough history for a haunting. (laughs) Seriously. Yeah. Everything Civil War related or really any war seems to be haunted, you know? Makes sense. So this training camp was called Camp Mordecai Bartley after Ohio's governor in the 1840s. And yes, Mordecai is an annoying name to try to type. Mordecai. Yeah. Isn't that the name of the creepy little kid in Children of the Corn? That was Malachi. Malachi. Thank you. Uh, Mordecai, though, was a name of this one guy who was like an urban legend in Supernatural. Oh. Yeah. Uh, It was the episode with the Tulpa. Where, like, you know, they drew, like, the symbol and, like, tulpas are creatures that you create from thought, like, intense thought and intense oh, belief. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's what that was. Um, in 1867, the city raised $10,000 to purchase 30 acres of land and then $20,000 for the adjoining 150 acres to build the building that it now sits on. The cost of building the facility itself was $1,326,769. No sense in that? Nope. (laughs) The construction of the building began in 1886 and was designed by Levi Schofield, who was from Cleveland. He wanted the building to be uplifting and inspiring, yet intimidating at the same time. That's a tall order. It really is. This was a prison after all, so I guess it needed to be intimidating. But uplifting and inspiring. (laughs) The building was made of limestone and was built in a combination of styles including Victorian Gothic, Richardsonian Romanesque, and Queen Anne. I had never heard of Queen Anne as an architectural style, so I looked it up and I found out it was popular around that time and the description was overly confusing, so sorry guys, but you aren't going to get too much information out of me on that one. I know, I just think of the armchair, like the Queen Anne armchair is the only thing I associate with that style. The only thing I know is that the... U.S. equivalent of Queen Anne is very different from the English equivalent of Queen Anne. Hmm. Schofield decided on these styles specifically because he felt it would help, quote, encourage the inmates to become reborn into their spiritual lives, end quote. That must be some inspiring architecture if it does all that. Yeah, that sounds very, um, it reminds me of like the Eastern State Penitentiary yeah. in Pennsylvania where it's like the Quakers were like, we're going to teach people to be better by getting them closer to God. That's pretty much, yeah. And we're going to isolate them. <laughs> oh, okay. There was also a supervising architect named F.F. Schnitzer, or if you're German, Schnitzer. Mm-hmm. But I don't know really anything about what his job entailed. Maybe he just stood back and said things like, that column's looking really great. Yeah, those jail cells are really coming along. It's all really making me feel reborn into my spiritual life. (laughs) So your guess is as good as mine on that one. This place was still under construction until 1910 due to troubles with funding, which delayed the process. Yet that didn't stop them from admitting their first prisoners in 1896. Hmm. So they came in when this place was still under construction. I lived through that. They were renovating my dorm to let all oh, really? of us move in. Yeah. It, it was quite the interesting shower trek because not all of the floors have bathrooms yet. Oh, no. So I definitely have very um, unpleasant memories of wandering through campus in a bathrobe. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. yeah annoying. Anyway. So there were actually 150 inmates brought in when it first opened its doors. And this was like in 1910? 1896. Okay, so before it was finished, they brought in 150. Yep. Now, the goal of this place, even though it was a prison, was to do what its name suggests and reform these men. The people that went through its doors weren't these violent repeat offenders, but people who were usually on the younger side 
and were on their first offense. They were too old to be housed in a juvenile facility, but the state of Ohio didn't want to throw them in with hardened criminals either, so this was their answer to that. Cheers to Ohio on that one. I know we don't like to use this podcast as a soapbox, but I do feel that prison can and does take people and turn them into hardened criminals sometimes. And experience like that changes you, and it's it isn't always for the better. The real purpose of any prison is supposed to be basically to like giving a child a timeout. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to sit and think about what you've done and how your actions have consequences. Instead, we tend to lock people up for so long that they don't even know how to live. They basically stuck frozen in time where the rest of the world has moved on without them and nothing is the same. They have no place to go when they get out. Everything is different. They don't have a job. And with a conviction on your record, you can't get a job most of the time. The system kind of sucks, so I'm glad to see that there was something out there like this. End of rant. For sure, yeah. I mean, it makes sense, too, with the naming conventions you talked about earlier. It's like the intermediary. Intermediate, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, that makes sense because it's like not quite the big, tough, like, penitentiary. Exactly. Now, back to what I was originally talking about, uh, which was the 150 inmates. As soon as they got there, they were put to work uh, working on the sewer system and building the 25-foot stone wall that surrounds the building. Other things that were expected of the inmates, at least in the beginning, were that they would learn a trade, practice religion, and receive an education. All in all, not too bad of an idea. And it worked, too. Most of the people who left the prison went on to live normal lives without any incidents, they this place has a really high success rate for rehabilitating the inmates and most did not reoffend. That's awesome. Yeah, so it did what it set out to do, which is great. Sentences here were usually only for 18 months, and for people who hate math, that's a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of its construction, there were 600 cells in total and they were arranged 6 floors high. Wow. Yeah, so it just kind of like goes up and up and up. In the 30s, they actually decided to make things even nicer for the inmates and started to pipe in radio music for them to listen to. You might say to yourself at this point, gee, this place seems too good to be true. Well, you aren't entirely wrong there. Although the place was doing a great job the way it was set up, the government got in the way of that and it pulled its funding in the 1960s and the Ohio State Reformatory was turned into a maximum security prison instead. So basically it goes from being this very successful intermediate reformatory mm-hmm. to being a state pen. Correct. Wow. And it housed some very violent people. I guess they just kind of said, fuck it, this place looks like a castle. It's probably strong enough to withstand the worst types of criminals around. Let's go for it. <laughs> this is where things got pretty dark. Without funding and with it being used for a purpose which it was never intended, conditions quickly deteriorated and things really took a turn. These criminals were very violent and there was a lot of fighting and more than a few deaths in this building. There was an area which they called the hole, which was used to store people who had acted out and it was not the nicest place in the world as its name suggests. It was a small and cramped area completely devoid of natural light. I'm sure we've all seen TV shows and movies where they talk about sending prisoners to the hole, and this is exactly that. They would usually get three days in the hole, and across multiple sources, I found a story that they stuck two prisoners there at one time in a cell, and at the end of the three days, only one came out. One had murdered the other, and the body of the victim was found crammed under the bunk. It's terrifying. The group of cells were made to house 20 people, and it's said that they'd shove 100 in there sometimes. Oh, my God. This was no longer the nice place that it had once been. That sounds like a human warehouse. It's Yeah, it's a complete shit show here now. There was a huge problem with overcrowding in general. The cells, which were made for single prisoners, those 600 cells, they're all supposed to only hold one person. But now they were holding up to three people at once. And instead of it being a place where people came to be rehabilitated, it became a place of strict punishment. This place did actual torture as punishment, too. And there were many methods. One thing was called the butterfly, and I couldn't really find much of what that was after searching for forever. So eventually I gave up because that felt like torture. (laughs) The only thing I really do know about it is that it electrocuted people. Mm. They also had water tubes. 
and a sweat box. And the source said this was for white prisoners, which I found weird that it was only for a certain race. I don't know if it meant white people got that and nothing else, or if that was strictly for white people. The sweat box? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. It's weird. Torture wasn't the only thing they had to worry about, however, and inmates were in a lot of danger from each other as well. This is all happening pretty pretty modern times, right? It's like 1960s on, right? Yes. Uh, these were some seriously violent criminals, and fights were an everyday occurrence here. The food was also notoriously bad. I don't know if it was just inedible or like it was moldy and unsafe to eat or what, but the food they served was certainly not the best even as far as prison food goes. There were also a lot of diseases going around in the prison, and no one seemed to care as well as a major rat problem. Hopefully there weren't any rat calls in this place. Uh, If you don't know what we're referring to, give Delaware Part 2 a listen and you'll find out. You remember the rat calls? Oh, I do. Also, the guards would treat certain prisoners like human beings, but only if you could bribe them. So there's that. That's awesome. This place was also incredibly understaffed. Which, I mean, come on, 600 cells times three people in each cell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, all in all, there were over 200 deaths in this place, whether from disease, murder, or suicide. Two guards that I know of were also killed during an escape attempt, and one of the suicides was self-immolation. Oh, my God. Yeah, that has to be the most horrible way to commit suicide I can think of. Yeah. In the 30s... There was a fire that broke out and killed 330 people, uh, injuring about 200 others. So, I mean, it's weird when I just said about the 200, over 200 deaths, and now they're saying 330 hmm. in one fire. So, that seems, yeah, I didn't really pick up on that one writing my notes yesterday, but it's okay. Yeah. Oh, well. So, something happened. That's all we know. <laughs> Those left alive had to stay in the attic until things were under control again. And this happened in the cell block. So that cell block was like just taken out and they had to shove a bunch of people in the attic. The building was finally shut down in the 90s after former inmates filed a lawsuit against the place and the conditions were brought to light. It was originally supposed to close down in December of 1986, but was delayed because of delays in construction again of a new building to the west of the old prison called the Mansfield Correctional Institution. They began to tear down a lot of the outbuildings and such, but did end up keeping the actual building itself, and they do have a preservation society for the building. It is currently a museum and is also open for tours, and they do a lot of ghost-related things in the fall, including weekly overnights. Oh, that sounds very Terrifying, yeah. yeah. Before I get into the hauntings, I just want to say that even if you think you've never seen or heard of this place before, chances are you have. The prison is actually where the Shawshank Redemption was filmed. Oh. And it all comes back to Stephen King for us, doesn't it? Always. He's like our spirit animal. Apparently. Other movies have used it as well, including Tango and Cash, Air Force One, and a movie that I don't think I know called Harry and Walter Go to New York. Yeah. Yeah. It's not familiar to me either. From like the 70s. I don't know. Uh, WWE shot a promotional poster for Judgment Day 2008 there with Triple H. It's been used for various music videos by people like Marilyn Manson, Godsmack, Lil Wayne, Anti-Flag, and a bunch of others. It is a really pretty building. Yeah, it's really cool. I love it. I mean, I wouldn't want to be there ever, but you know. Um, There have also been travel specials done on this place by a few different places. A lot of paranormal investigations have been done here, such as the Fox Family Show that I think was the one with Linda Blair that we talked about before, Scariest Places on Earth. Yes. Uh, Ghost Hunters did an episode here. It was on Ghost Asylum. And of course, our best friend Zach and Ghost Adventures were there as well. It was also the setting for the 2017 Ink in the Clink Festival, which had Three Days Grace and then bands I've never heard of, as well as a festival in 2018 called Incarceration. I'm sensing a theme here. Mm Mm-hmm which featured bands I do know, such as Bush, Our Lady Peace, Rise Against, and A Day to Remember. This is going to be another metric shit ton of ghosts kind of story, so stick with me if you don't want to sleep tonight. (laughs) Fair warning. Yeah. One last thing before the ghosts, since we also love our true crime. 
The reformatory's farm boss and his wife and daughter were all kidnapped and shot to death by two parolees from the prison who wanted revenge. What? When did that happen? Uh, I did not write down a date, so I do not know anymore. That sounds... Yeah. Wow. There was a manhunt spanning six states for these guys who were dubbed the Mad Dog Killers. It ended with one being arrested and the other being killed. Also, there was a case of accidental death when the warden's wife was removing a jewelry box from a closet and accidentally knocked over a gun that hit the floor and went off, killing her. Wow, that's a... Shit luck. Yeah, super shitty luck. A lot of that information was gathered from the prison's website, mrps.com. And I just want to say, if you're listening, I noticed a lot of spelling errors, so if you're looking for someone to proofread, I'm your guy. (laughs) That statement also might go out to News Channel 4 Columbus because that's where they got it from. Either way, I'd love a new job, especially if it's work from home. So give me a call or email us. So seriously, now I'm getting the ghosts, I swear. We've got a lot of ground to cover, so we'll start under it in the basement. There's said to be two ghosts down here. The first of which is that of a 14-year-old boy who was beaten to death and appears as a shadow that can be seen running away. Hmm. The other is a guard and possibly the murderer of the boy. His presence is felt as something different from the boys and something much darker, and people have reported feeling unsafe around him. Oh, that's creepy. Almost like they're replaying their... Yep, exactly. There's also something in the sub-basement. Apparently, no one wanted to go down there even when the place was still operational, so it's a creepy area. People have seen a boy here, too, and heard him whispering. Ugh. Yeah, no, I don't like the whisper, the like phantom are, whispers. Like no. you're not just in a basement, you're in like a sub-basement. Sub-basement, like you're really far underground. Here. Oh, that's so terrifying. Yeah, mm-mm, not mm-mm. doing it. Nope. When people go into the area known as the hole, they feel nauseated, fearful, short of breath, panicky, and they feel cold spots in the area. People have also been touched. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not really the best place. The chapel is said to be one of the most active places in the prison as it was at one time used for executions. Mm. I don't understand why you'd use a chapel for executions, but they did. That's a weird double duty. Yeah. Yeah. People say that they feel like they're being watched in there and people have been grabbed or pushed. I saw a picture of it and it is creepy as hell. There's this statue of either Jesus or a saint and then everything else around it is just like in shambles and falling apart. It's it's really unsettling to look at. I believe you. I don't. I, one religious iconography and statues tend it, to be yeah, on the right? creepy side for some reason. I don't know why, but the they eyes are. always follow you. Yes. Well, we were both raised Catholic, so uh, oh, <laughs> we would know. Um, there's a room called the chair room where the chapel priest used to go, which is just a windowless room with a row of three chairs in it. From what I gather. It's another place where you feel like you're being watched. I'd feel uncomfortable in a room with no windows and just three chairs in the middle of the room. That's yeah, creepy that's... and makes me feel like I'm playing Silent Hill or something. Worst confessional yeah. ever. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So just three chairs, no windows. That's it. It's another place where you feel like you're being watched. There's something very nasty in this room, and it's really picky about the chairs. I'm going to refer to it as the feng shui ghost because <laughs> this the chairs absolutely need to be in the middle of the room. And if you fuck with the chairs and try to move it, then turn the lights off, they'll be moved back soon after. What? Yep, they'll move back on their own. That is the feng shui ghost. Yep. One guy sat in one of the chairs and left with scratch marks on his body. Uh, I, that's one of those haunting things, those, those physical manifestation phenomenons of scratching that like, mm-mm, yeah, it's just very terrifying. Yeah. I don't want to deal with that. I mean, part of it's because I'm that like clumsy person where like, I don't realize that I'm bumping into things or scratching myself. Oh yeah. And then like later be like getting out of the shower. I'm like, where'd that come from? I tend to wake up with scratches on me cause I like hit something in my sleep, I guess. And I'm like, what, when did that happen? I mean, it's sort of like how every time I use hand sanitizer at work, I'm like, oh, I've got cuts on my hands. Oh, that burns. Okay. Where did those come from? Well, I realized how clumsy I was. Like, I don't think of myself as a clumsy person. Like, I fall, but I usually catch myself. Yeah. But I realized how, like, precarious I bump into things in high school because I always had these, like, bruises about midway up my 
like the outside of my thighs. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's so weird. Where are these coming from? I don't know. And then I realized that's because I would bump into desks when I'd walk down rows. Oh, yeah. And I would just that, just that right amount, a little bit of pressure. And I'm like, gosh, I got to pay more attention. My <laughs> kilt is flipping in the wind as I walked. Whenever I worked retail, I would always bump my shoulders on racks. I've done that too. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And you're like, what's this weird bruise? And it's like, mm-hmm. almost like, what, what, was my bag too heavy? What was this? I would end up getting a ton of cardboard cuts too from all the tags. Yeah. So in the cell blocks, there's more shadows. Again, people have reported experiencing nausea. Okay. In the East Admin Building, which is where the warden's quarters were, you can hear phantom footsteps as well as a man and a woman talking, which is probably the warden and his wife. Hmm. I wonder what they're talking about. He ended up dying of a heart attack, like, in the same decade that she died. Oh. Was he still the active warden at yes, that time? Yes, I think so. Oh. Uh, the scent of roses can be smelled as well in the area. I don't know why. Apparitions have also been seen, but I didn't find what exactly they looked like or what they were up to. Probably a run-of-the-mill ghostly shenanigans. I don't know. But lights from four-bedroom windows have been said to come on all at once. Mm-hmm. And there have also been shadow people here as well. I don't like shadow people. And I'm nope. going to say nope to shadow people. Yeah, I've experienced shadow people since I was a child. So uh, I'm sorry, that's creepy. Because, hello, sleep paralysis. It is my best friend. No, it's not. It is my worst enemy. Thank you very much. Is it your worst frenemy? My worst frenemy, Ew. sure. I mean, there's nothing friendly about it at all, so it probably can't even be a frenemy. Mm. Fair enough. Anyway. In the third floor west area... There are strange gusts of wind and more footsteps. The east cell block has a lot of activity and people have caught ghosts on camera here. They experience cold spots and people have been touched and even pushed in this area. Oh, a lot of like touching and pushing manifestations. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, from overcrowding, it could be just like... It makes sense a lot. Yeah, it totally does. And also these were violent offenders, so they could literally be trying to just hurt you. Who knows? In the first floor east wing, people have noticed shadow people again. The prison's website was weird and vague with this one, but they said that a, quote, paranormal celebrity had a, quote, experience and refused to go back in. He just, quote, grabbed his scarf and walked out. End quote. Cough, cough, Zach. It was Zach. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And that's the long list of ghosts in the Ohio State Reformatory. This, as with most haunted prisons, seems like a pretty scary place to me. Part of me wants to visit. Another part of me wants to run for the hills. How about you? So I would say no to the overnights. Absolutely. Because I will always say no to overnights. However, it's a gorgeous building. So I wouldn't, it's beautiful. I wouldn't mind going on like a day tour for sure. But overnights, no. And see, part of me wants to do the overnights too, but I know I will shit myself. I'm going to have to bring an extra pair of pants because <laughs> I will shit myself. Just just no Thai food that day. No Thai. Stay away from Thai food, Mexican food. I'm just, you know, tips from, Mexican tips from a pro. My favorite, damn it. Um, <laughs> no tacos. See, it just, it sucks so much that this building was doing a really great job. And then they had to cut its funding. Yeah. And turn it into a maximum security prison. I think that's kind of how it goes, though, with like the American like criminal justice system. It's like we can do a really good job of reforming people. Yes. If you have the funds to do it. I mean, I guess that goes for anything, whether it's, you know, any kind of public service slash, you know, cultural institution. If you have the funding to do it right, you can do it right and you're successful. But as soon as you cut funding, it becomes an overcrowded, overburdened system that just fails, fails the people in it and it fails the people who work for it. Absolutely. Soapbox off. <laughs> it just seems like weird because this is the second prison that I've done now. Mm-hmm. And both of them were originally something else that got turned into a prison. Hmm. It's just very weird. I mean, not for nothing, but it kind of tracks with American history. That's true, I guess. It's like more people are incarcerated today than they were, you know, 40 oh, years ago. Oh, absolutely. So. Yeah. Prisons are overcrowded like crazy. It's, yeah, it's nuts. And everything seems to be about either getting money from you or just, you know, being a dick. Yeah. A lot of times the punishments don't fit the crime anymore and it's just nuts. And now everything is haunted. Now everything is fucking haunted. Guys, take note. Take note. (laughs) I'll write my sources for this week. 
Wikipedia, as always, MRPS.com, which is the Reformatory's website, OnlyInYourState.com, TheVintageNews.com, DarkArtAndCraft.com, and HauntedHawking.com. I'm curious about the dark arts and craft.com. Yeah, I it was just the one article that I read. I didn't really explore the rest of their website, but it might be cool. Yeah, I'm gonna go poke around there. Yeah. I, I have to say I do enjoy our source refer, references because there are some really cool information that maybe be outside of our stories. But I think it's always fun when we end up getting like information from the same website. I know. Yeah. It's like, oh. Like that murder by gaslight one just turned out to be a really cool site. Yeah, it's a great site. Anywho. I liked your story a lot. Oh, thank you. I think it's very interesting how, like like to your point previous about how you have something that's working so well and then it just kind of falls apart. Yeah. It's unfortunate. I didn't know that that was where like a lot of, I, I guarantee you I've probably seen most of those movies and or music oh, yeah. videos too. And I'm like, oh, it's so pretty. Exactly. Like there's like, it's been everywhere. Like this is a big, big place. Yeah, I'll have to make a, a point to update our website, include some of those photos. Yeah, oh God, we I haven't done anything with our website in so long and I feel so bad. I'm sorry, gang. I'll, I'll get on it. I'll get on it. So guys, here's what you need to do. You need to talk to people so we can make money off of this and then quit our jobs so we have more time to work on the website and to work on the podcast. There you go. That's your job. Get on it. <laughs> if you choose to accept this mission. <laughs> yeah, please do. Please do. We need the money. So, Ohio, you've been a fun time. Yes, I actually really enjoyed this state. Yeah, yeah. Do you know where we're headed to next? We, I don't remember. I mean, let me check. Let me check. Somewhere in the south, because Ohio was like our weird stop in the middle. We are heading south, which I'm super excited about. I think we're going to come across some amazing, amazing tales. We already did Maryland. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is, you know. I'm just thinking below the Mason-Dixon. What's there? (laughs) So, what would be next? West Virginia, I think. Mm. West Virginia. That is what I have here. Okay, then it's West Virginia. So any West Virginians out there, get your ready. episode is coming up, and I've always wanted to go to West Virginia. I've driven through it. It looks so pretty when I see pictures. It is. It's very green. Yeah. Um, it's always that like little cut through because you don't want to drive through Virginia because traffic's horrendous. Yeah. But, yeah I saw like this picture with like a stream and one of those like I don't know what they're called water wheels. Yeah, like a like a wheel to like run a mill or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Water wheel, grist mill. I don't know. I mean, yeah. grist mill is just like your grinding grain. Yeah, what else? But West Virginia, we're coming for you. Yep. So you better be ready. Tell your friends. Tell your neighbors. I don't even know if we have any listeners in West Virginia, but maybe this will change some things. I mean, Ohio, we got more listeners in. True. True. Ohio people, tell your friends too. <laughs> I know you know people in West Virginia. Don't lie to me. Don't lie. You're too close. Come on. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, they're directly under us, and we don't know anyone from West Virginia. Uh, I know someone that used to live in West Virginia. Well, see, there you go. I don't talk to her anymore. I haven't seen her in years. It's the West Virginia connection. We didn't have a falling out. She just kind of disappeared. It was college. That sounds very West Virginian, actually. It does. I don't know if that's a thing, but okay, I'm just agreeing with you. <laughs> Anyway, gang, now that we've reached the end of our episode, just to remind you that Aiden and I are always here for you to listen to your thoughts and feelings, your creepy stories, your desires to hear more creepy stories. If you need someone to talk to because you feel unsafe, because you're afraid the ghosts are going to get to you now, we're all ears. Talk to us. We understand your pain. We have to do these notes after all, and I do them before bed. (laughs) So you can always reach out to us uh, through our email at roadsidehorrorshow at gmail.com. You can also check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Roadside Horror Show and on Twitter, sometimes kind of, sort of, at Roadside Horror. And last but certainly not least, you can check out our website at roadsidehorrorshow.podbean.com, which we will update, I promise, promise. cross my heart. Yes, we will get to it. Life has been crazy. We both work 40 plus hours a week. Plus do this. So it's like, okay, well, let's find time somewhere. It's for the, the love. The 10 minutes that I scheduled to breathe, I can maybe <laughs> do something. The, the love of the creep. Yep. All right. Is that everything? I think that's everything. I think so. I think, uh, you know, as always, thanks to E. Massey and Young oh, yeah. Rocks Design for our intro and outro music and our fantastic logo. Mm-hmm. Love you guys. You're awesome. Also, 
Um, I'm not sure if we had talked about it, but we will have a live show coming up and we will have more information on that as soon as we can. Uh, it's going to be at, in Lake Harmony at the Pocono Witches Festival. So stay tuned because you might be able to see us. Yeah, we we'll would have, love to see you. Yeah, we'll have more details as we get closer. Until then, Roadsters. Creep, creep on, on creeping creepin on. on.